0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number six, the final episode in our summer shorts series. This is the effective church leaders podcast, where we believe everybody deserves the support they need to become more informed, more confident, and more effective church leaders. I'm your host, Carrie Holton. As you know, if you've been listening in to the podcast of the last five weeks, Becky and I have been discussing what we believe to be some of the strengths of and some of the reasons we appreciate the Nineteenth Century Restoration Movement in America. We have encouraged church leaders, therefore, and others to be "people of the Book," to not bind on others what God has not bound on them, to welcome open dialogue and robust debate on what the Bible teaches, to commit to holy living and to pursue an anti-sectarian spirit and true, undenominational Christianity. In this episode, we want to talk about something that undergirds everything we have been discussing in the last five weeks. We want to talk about the Restoration Principle, or the Restoration Plea. The Restoration Principle is the principle that pleads for a return to a norm, a standard. It involves the belief that progress can be made by going backwards. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but in religion, it makes perfect sense. We make progress by going back to the Bible as the voice of authority in religion in general, and in Christianity in particular. The restoration principle pleads for the recognition of of the New Testament scriptures as the guidebook for the church. But is the restoration principle a valid one? Ah, that's the question. We believe it is, and for several reasons. First, it is valid solely on the basis that the New Testament is a record of the very first presentation of the Christian faith. The New Testament provides the irreplaceable witness of those who knew Jesus in the flesh, and therefore supplies the norm and standard for experience and faith that purports to be Christian. As the very first expression of Christian faith, it is normative in a way that other presentations of Christian faith are not. Why wouldn't we want to return to the pure and simple religion of Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't we want to try to capture the essence of the religion of Christ? Why wouldn't we want to find religious authority for faith and practice by going back to the beginning of it all, to the source of Christianity? Why wouldn't we prefer to go all the way back to the headwaters of Christianity's stream, where the waters are fresh and pure and clean and Unpolluted by centuries of human additions. Second, we believe the restoration principle is valid on the basis that Christianity, as it is described in the New Testament, is of divine origin. Now, this is key. If Christianity, if this religion, originated with God, we need to pay attention to it. Wouldn't you agree? If it is human in its inception, there is no particular value in restoring its human values, but if its principles are a matter of divine revelation, we are dealing with perfect concepts which never need updating. Since we believe the New Testament is the revelation of the will of God given to us by inspired men, the restoration of New Testament Christianity as it was in the minds of Jesus and his authorized representatives, the apostles, is surely a valid pursuit. Third, we believe the restoration principle is valid on the basis that the voice of Jesus, Christianity's founder, is the voice of authority in religion. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is presented as the Son of God with authority. He was to be called Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Before he was born, an angel announced he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. At his baptism, the Father announced, You are my Son, the Beloved, and at the transfiguration, This is my Son, the Beloved, listen to him. All of these biblical references speak of Jesus' authority. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus declared his absolute authority. After his resurrection, he declared, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He even made the claim that people will be judged according to his words. His authority was emphasized by the writer to the Hebrews when he wrote, God in these last days has spoken to us by a son. The fact that Jesus possesses supreme authority would cause us to expect him to set forth a record of his teachings for the benefit of ages to come. Don't you think? In order to bring this about, while he was on earth, Jesus chose a group of men who were called apostles. And this word in the New Testament carries with it the idea of one chosen and sent with a special commission as the fully authorized representative of the sender. Jesus taught these apostles that they were to be his witnesses in the world and that men would receive him by receiving them. We see the apostles acting with authority in guiding the early church, authority given to them by Jesus, When we turn to the history in Acts, Christ moves and acts through their instrumentality in the book of Acts, first through the 12, and then, in addition, through Paul. Some of these men wrote the letters of the New Testament, and in their writings, they claim that they are writing as men having the authority to write. Paul speaks of the authority which the Lord gave me. In 2 Corinthians 13, he wrote the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, quote, We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, End quote. Not only did Paul and Peter, James and John write with authority. That authority of the apostles was recognized by the early church. Luke tells us that the earliest Christians in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. Why? Because they recognized the authority of those men. We find the same acknowledgement of the apostles' authority by the church fathers in the years following the completion of the New Testament. That list would include the likes of Clement of Alexandria and Ignatius, Polycarp and Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and Tertullian. These and others would show the attitude then prevailing toward the New Testament writings that they were seen as authoritative. Again, what makes the restoration principle valid is the authority of Jesus Christ. Since Christ has all authority, as he claimed, and since he promised to reveal his will through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and since the New Testament reveals that he did that very thing, and since the apostles claim that Christ has once for all delivered the faith to the world through them, and since this was recognized by the first century church and by the church in the centuries immediately following then it necessarily follows that the restoration principle must be a valid one. Furthermore, since the restoration principle is valid, it follows that not only should we seek to recapture the ethical teachings of Jesus and the spirit and vision of the early disciples, but that we should seek to recapture other important elements and practices of the early church. In addition, we should remember that both Christ and the apostles gave great emphasis to the importance of pure doctrine and to the dangers of following after the doctrines of men. There is, in fact, a note of warning throughout the Bible of substituting man's ways for the ways of God. Now, it is true that some have lost faith in the restoration principle. Some believe that the hermeneutical method of command, example, and necessary inference for identifying what Scripture does and does not authorize is flawed. Some believe the restoration principle is inherently divisive. But as Richard Hughes writes in Reclaiming a Heritage, those who reject the restoration ideal on this ground risk throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The truth is that the restoration principle focuses our attention on biblical faith, biblical faith. It is a plea for loyalty to the teachings of that generation and to the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's reproduce vital elements of the Christian religion of the first century in our day. And let's not settle for anything less than what Jesus wants his church to be.